Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.20 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 6th of September, 2019. This is episode 134 of Bitcoin and... And today I am going to do the whole thing about spatchcocked chicken, okay? That's just, that's got to be done because I've I've done it twice and it's just a beautiful way to cook chicken, especially out on the grill. I've done it a couple of different ways. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that after the, your daily train wrecked. But uh, let's, right now, let's start up with what's going on in the community. Uh, so yesterday... <laughs> I have uh, I've decided that I, I need to get back into uh, uh, playing guitar, and I kind of, you know, my the amplifiers that I have are Mesa Boogie Mark Threes. Now these things are sixty watt heads, fully tubed, and they're they're beautiful amps, and they sound awesome. The problem is, they're too freaking loud. Cause I got to put the master volume on, on three just to get the circuitry charged up. If that makes sense, you, this is not an amplifier that you could put down way low and close the door and play guitar and, and still get all that, you know, beefy distortion and, and, you know, nice, you know, nice tones out of. So when it's on three, it'll blow your hair back either one of them. And when they're both on, Whoa, yeah, that's like blowing doors out of the frame kind of loud. And I got, you know, I got little kids and a wife. And, you know, even if I'm by myself at the house or for whatever reason, it's just, you know, I guess I'm just gotten too old because it's just too freaking loud. It just, they, these amplifiers will just pummel your ass. So I need to look for an interface for my computer. And one of the ones that I'm looking at is called a Focusrite. And I've, uh, up in, you know, up in Amarillo, they got, you know, we have a guitar center here and, you know, I was like, you know, browsing in there. I was getting new strings for, for my daughter's guitar because she's going to start taking guitar. She wants to take guitar lessons. And so I was up there and I just started looking around and I was asking the guy over in recording, I go, look, dude, I, I kind of need a solution. I've got a couple of, you know, other mics, uh, I, you know, doing a podcast, I, you know, I kind of wanted something that may be portable that maybe I could pack the whole damn thing up into a box with a laptop and then like cruise down to Austin and I don't know, go interview some of the Texas Bitcoiners down there. Uh, cause there's a lot of them. And we, he was like, dude, the focus, right, man, check it out. And I go, okay, okay. That's, that's pretty cool. But uh, I didn't have time to really look at the specs. So when I got home, when I did have time, I would go over to, to a guitar center because I want to look at the specs. I want to look at what latency is and like exactly what the noise and, you know, and gain and, you know, uh, signal to noise ratios and all that stuff that I used to do when I was back in audio engineering 
way back in the freaking dawn of, of, of my history. And so I go to the guitar center and lo and behold, guess what pops up? That's right. The little fuchsia rectangle from Lolly that says activate 2.5% to 4.5% Bitcoin back at guitar center. And I'm like, okay. So I go to Lolly's website. I check and sure enough, guitar center is a vendor, uh, is part of Lolly's vendor group. So, Lolly's completely kicking ass and is it's starting to become a meme in my browser when I go to stores and I, I'm not even thinking about it. I just go to like a store's webpage and like it's getting to be the point where it's getting to the point where one out of four, the Lolly flag pops up. And I'm like, my God, these these people are just they're like the Terminator, man. They just will not quit. And so hats off to the guys over at Lolly. If you're not following Lolly on Twitter, you need to be. It's at try Lolly, T-R-Y-L-O-L-L-I. Uh, go, uh, go check out the vendors, man, because there's probably a vendor there for you. And when you buy stuff with Lolly activated on the website that you're at, you'll get sats back. So you, it's a good way to stack some sats. Uh, next up is Casa blog, uh, or the, 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 the good people over there at Casa has posted a blog and it's really interesting. This was yesterday. The, uh, headline, this is by Nick Newman. The headline is sats app available for everyone, even without a Casa node. <laughs> Let's read through it. We've got two big announcements today. First, Sats app is now available in the iOS App Store and Google Play Store. So download now and thank you to everyone who helped us test during our beta period. So far, customers love using Sats app to connect with their Casa node to send lightning transactions using Sat tags and to earn Bitcoin while keeping their node healthy with heartbeats. However, users without a Casa node really couldn't use Sats app at all. That changes today. With this update, you can now use Sats app for Bitcoin without needing a Casa node. We're taking another big step toward our goal of making Sats app the easiest way to use Bitcoin. Now Sats app has a fully self-contained Bitcoin key. Anyone who downloads the app can use it to send and receive Bitcoin on chain, and you can unlock Lightning Network features by connecting a Casa node. The best part? You can use Sat tags to easily send and receive on chain as well as off chain. This makes it easy for anyone to send Bitcoin just like they would use Cash App or Venmo to send a friend money for dinner. And it's still fully non-custodial. You control the private keys. The private key is saved in your phone's secure enclave and backed up using Casa's existing secure backup method, which our CTO Jameson Lopp explained in this post, and that's underlined as a link to that post. When someone sends Bitcoin to your SAS tag, a new address is derived from your public key and provided to the sender. The Bitcoin goes directly to your key and does not pass through Casa in any way. We've done our best to keep it simple while still giving users as much personal sovereignty as own and ownership as possible. We should also note that customers can still send using a Bitcoin address or by scanning a Bitcoin QR code. We worked hard to find a way to improve usability for new Bitcoin users while still maintaining full Bitcoin functions. The, <clears throat> the feature of the new Bitcoin key in SATS app is pretty simple. Create a new key or sync an existing one, send and receive. 
We've purposely kept it as straightforward as possible so anyone can pick up the app and start using Bitcoin. However, there are deeper key management features available in Keymaster app on both iOS and Android, even for free users. The Sats app key is shared with Keymaster either locally on your phone's secure element or via your cloud backup. It's displayed as your mobile key within Keymaster. And if you are already... If you already have your mobile key set up in Keymaster, it will automatically be shared over to SatsApp. In Keymaster, you can check the health of your key and manage your cloud backup. In the future, we'll provide more detailed transaction controls in Keymaster that won't be available in SatsApp. Both apps are meant to work in harmony to create the best Bitcoin experience available. Sats app is built for simplicity, while Casa Keymaster is built for ultimate security and control, with included multi-sig protection. Many new clients will start with Casa by using SatsApp as a simple way to earn Bitcoin or send to friends. <clears throat> then they can escalate to using Keymaster as they learn more about key management and multi-sig. Let's see, is there anything else about this? Nope, no, nope, that's that's about it. So uh, I just thought that was really interesting that almost immediately upon releasing the SatsApp, um, it was, it seems like that was just last week, maybe two. And all of a sudden now it's, it's already expanded beyond, uh, checking the health of your, of your CASA node, which is ballers. Yeah. You know, that's these, the amount of expansion or the rate of expansion of these things coming into our hands is just, to me, it seems like it's, it's a geometric growth, which is, People talk about exponential growth, but don't, you know, don't uh, not think that geometric growth isn't just a, you know, can be a monster growth thing. All right, let's see what else is up here. Crypto Words has released their August uh, 2019 edition. Uh, these guys are basically they're gathering up like, you know, they, what they it's sort of like a journal for the for the industry, but. Kind of, kind of not. It's like a journal, like a scientific journal. is like peer-reviewed stuff. This is basically these guys, and I've talked about them before, but these guys gather up like as like all the the stuff that like, not stuff, the articles, things that people have written um, that are really good articles about Bitcoin and the Bitcoin space and the technologies and all that stuff. And they basically shove them all into this downloadable PDF that you can go download for free. I'm looking at it on my screen right now. Again, this is Crypto Words, Crypto Words. This is the August 2019 edition, and it is a collection of Bitcoin commentary from the brightest minds in the crypto community. That's their tagline. So what's in this one? It's like, okay, uh, Bitcoin's power balance, and that's, you know, like a, a tweet storm and proof of work equivalent days, which is from a tweet storm. We need Bitcoin full nodes, economic ones. Bitcoin can't be copied is the name of another article. There's proof of life, which I'm pretty sure that was uh, uh, Gigi and Bitcoin layers and Bitcoin is not too far. Uh, there's just, I mean, there's all manner of stuff. And this thing is a monster, man. It's 116 pages long. So if you've missed any of these things, you know, you've seen them come across and you just don't have time. And then all of a sudden you find that you're just like, oh shit, what was the name of that thing? Go check out Crypto Words and, you know, go to their website because what you missed is probably in their digest. So, yeah, Crypto Words kicking ass as usual. All right. <laughs> let's, 
Let's start getting into the news. Uh, and we're going to start out with a blockgeeks.com analysis. This is by Rajarshi Mitra. Uh, he's writing this yesterday, and this is Bitcoin Cash Stress Test Clogs Up Network. <laughs> no wonder they're pissed. <clears throat> Bitcoin Cash usually does somewhere between 30 and 50,000 transactions per day. However, as can be seen from the spike on September 1st, Bcash had 600,000 transactions. Theoretically speaking, this should have been easy for Bcash to clear up. However, this test clogged up the entire network for hours. We are sure that you know by now the entire block size fiasco. To give you a short recap, Bitcoin has been facing scalability issues and a part of the community felt that the solution was to increase the block size. Several in the community rejected this notion and the detractors forked away from the protocol on August the 1st, 2017, creating Bcash. Bcash happened to have an 8 megabyte block size limit. Eventually, Bcash got adopted and... Um, I think that's the wrong sentence. Bcash got adopted unadjustable block size cap, wherein the block size could go all the way up to 32 megabytes if needed. All right, so let's get back to the issue at hand. There were three significant backlogs of transactions in the system. The biggest backlog saw 270,000 transactions locked up in the mempool. According to the analyst going by at stop and decrypt, and we all know who he is, The total size of these transactions came up to 50 megabytes. If Bcash produced 32 megabyte blocks, this should have been cleared up within two blocks or roughly 20 minutes. However, it took 15 blocks to clear up the 270,000 transactions, which equates to 2.5 hours. Miners capping block. Oh, sorry. Okay. Now, now that was the name of this, uh, this chart, uh, this image that is that comes down next that shows basically the blocks being mined by different miners uh, mining the BCH chain. And it's here's what it's what is said about the image. The above image shows the blocks mined by the mining pools during the time of the test. This makes for interesting reading for several reasons. One, Bitmain's AMP pool and Roger Ver's Bitcoin pool were both using the client's default soft limit of two megabytes for some hours. Two, via BTC and BTC top were both using over two megabytes. However, they were nowhere near the 32 megabyte limit. Three, there is one unknown miner who limited block size to one megabyte. God, what a shit show. Both Roger Ver and Bitmain were the biggest vocal proponents of increasing the block size. However, it looks like they are themselves limiting the block size to its default minimum. As someone on Reddit pointed out, quote, it is utterly shameful that pools and miners who were vocally supporting on-chain scaling set two megabyte block limits for themselves, (laughs) end quote. So why are the miners limiting the block size to just two megabytes when there is an adjustable cap till 32 megabytes? There are three possible reasons. One, there isn't enough demand. Two, no financial incentive to mine bigger blocks. Three, there is a risk of orphaning. (laughs) Even though Bcash has a larger block size than Bitcoin, BitInfoCharts tells us that the average Bitcoin block is larger than the average Bcash block. So why is that the average Bitcoin block is about five to eight times bulkier than a Bcash block? It's simple. Bitcoin's network happens to be a lot busier than Bcash. 
Bitcoin always, usually always does more than 300,000 transactions in a day. Bcash barely manages 50,000. Since there aren't that many transactions, there isn't a demand for big blocks. As Stoppin to Crypt points out, miners don't have financial incentive to mine bigger blocks. Quote, Bcash recently had 270,000 unconfirmed transactions in the mempool. It was about 50 megabytes in size. It took about 15 blocks for it to clear, despite block size being 32 megabytes each. The total reward miners received from fees after processing them all was $150. That's $10 per block. Oh, man, that's painful to even look at, guys. This was further elaborated on Reddit by a user named neutral underscore user underscore name. Quote, it's all about incentives. Bitcoin is totally about incentives. The fee reward is so low compared to the block reward that they do not bother increasing their block size. Whether they mine a one megabyte block or a 22 megabyte block is pretty much the same reward to them. End quote. What this shows us is that the fee model in Bcash is not that healthy. Since Bcash processes lesser transactions with lesser dollar value than Bitcoin, it simply can't create an internal fee market which is as healthy as Bitcoin's. Case in point, as Stop and Decrypt again points out, quote, in comparison, when Bitcoin's mempool is at its lowest, miners are rewarded with 0.2 BTC per block. That's two grand per block versus $10. Orphaning is a phenomenon where a block is mined, but it never gets to be part of the main blockchain. Usually a healthy blockchain will have a low number of orphan blocks. A network with a high number of orphans is extremely inefficient since it shows that the miners are spending a lot of energy for nothing. BSV, which is a fork of Bcash, has a block size limit of 128 megabytes. In April 2019, BitMEX's research team noted that BSV's that BSV, quote, experienced two block reorganizations, first a three block reorg, followed by a six block reorg, end quote. The reorganization happens when a network is forced to orphan blocks after they have been mined. BSV suffers from this because of its bloated blocks. The reasoning behind this is simple. In a decentralized network, a block needs to propagate throughout the network before it can become a part of the blockchain. The larger the block, the more time it will take to gain the necessary approval from the network. Maybe Bcash miners want to avoid the scenario by not mining big blocks. But then this begs the question, why demand bigger blocks in the first place if you are not going to use it? That's a real good question. And we've been talking about that for like a long time. Um, and so let's, let's get back into actual Bitcoin where things are going well. William Suberg is writing for Cointelegraph on September the 4th, 2019. And he says, Bitcoin network computing power nears 90 quintillion hashes per second. (laughs) Bitcoin has seen yet another sharp increase in its computing power after its network hash rate grew 25% in a week. Data from monitoring sources blockchain put Bitcoin's hash rate at 87 quintillion hashes per second as of September the 3rd. That would be 87 exa hashes, guys. Okay. Uh, the figure passed 80 quintillion hashes per second for the first time in early August and has set new highs on an almost daily basis in recent months. Hash rate refers to the overall computing power involved in processing Bitcoin transactions. The greater the metric, the more power available, and hence the more secure the blockchain network is. Additionally, a rising hash rate means that forward-looking miners are investing vast amounts of resources to expand their operations, betting on Bitcoin's value to increase in the future. 
Miners have piled into Bitcoin again in 2019 after last year's hash rate slump, something accompanied uh, something accompanied by a price bull run beginning April the 1st. Now commentators believe further gains in, for hash rate and price are on the horizon. Quote, the race to mine the last 3 million Bitcoin will keep hash rate growing rapidly for the next few years, Blockstream CSO Samson Moe wrote on, two, on Twitter on Monday. Uh, RT host Max Kaiser, meanwhile, pointed to ongoing political upheaval in the United Kingdom as fueling the Bitcoin price. Quote, Bitcoin hash rate continues strong upturn. Price follows hash chaos as you as UK melts down, bringing in panic buying from Brits reportedly. End quote. He theorized just before press time on Wednesday. BTC USD made sudden gains at the start of the week, rising almost 10 percent since the weekend. And that'll do it for that one. Uh, I don't think it's just the UK, Max. I think there's a lot more going on in the world than just you know, the shit show that's going on over in the UK. Um, you know, and we'll probably see some more of that in upcoming stories. All right. So uh, Diana Go or no, it's NGO, which I'm pretty sure is Vietnamese, and I have zero idea how to pronounce it. Sorry I'm butchering you. I'm sure you're a fine person. She's writing September the 3rd, 2019 for Bitcoin Magazine, PwC Luxembourg to start accepting Bitcoin payments. PwC Luxembourg, a European branch of the major institutional auditing firm, will and PwC is Price Waterhouse Coopers, guys. So that's a huge, it's one of the top five service firms and in, in financial services. All right. So uh, a European branch of the major institutional auditing firm will start accepting payments in Bitcoin from its clients on October the 1st, 2019. Astounding, astounding one month before the release of the white uh, anniversary of the white paper, because that was dropped on, on Halloween. <laughs> Lots of stuff in Bitcoin happens in October. PricewaterhouseCoopers is the second largest professional services firm in the world and one of the world's big four auditors, along with Deloitte, e. Ernst & Young, and KPMG. The decision to embrace Bitcoin payments was made to respond to a growing demand from the market and reflects the firm's willingness to support the growing national crypto ecosystem, according to an announcement from the firm on September the 2nd, 2019. PwC Luxembourg said it, cl- it closely collaborated with local with a local regulated exchange to support Bitcoin payments, but didn't name which one. According to the Luxembourg Financial Industry Supervisory Commission's website, there are ter- currently two cryptocurrency exchange operators authorized in Luxembourg and supervised by the regulator Bitstamp and Bitflyer. I bet you it's Bitstamp. In its relatively short history, Bitcoin has become a symbol of rebellion against major financial institutions, and it's been associated with cybercrime and dark web drug dealers. Yet, despite these associations, Bitcoin remains a reliable payment system and, quote, the first peer-to-peer payment mechanism that cannot be compromised and is based on a decentralized trust model, end quote, in PwC Luxembourg's view. That is interesting that they got that Absolutely right. Good job, Price Waterhouse Coopers, for not being douchebags. Continuing, it added that the new Bitcoin payment capability will give its clients access to a secure payment alternative to traditional assets that reflect the evolution of the world's economy. Quote, as part of PwC's Luxembourg's market assessment, what quickly became clear is that we could not continue to invest in the field, promote it, build solutions for clients, and support their transformation while not also being exposed to it. End quote. Thomas Campone, Campione, director and blockchain 
and crypto assets leader at PwC Luxembourg said in the press release, quote, our role is to lead and it is only by being an active leader with exposure, skin in the game, that we at PwC Luxembourg can understand the challenges inherent in the crypto world, Campioni said. It is very difficult to properly appreciate the challenges of AML KYC enhanced due diligence in a world made of public-private keys with the complexity and risks of custodial solutions or to comprehend the decentralized finance ecosystem growing next door without being exposed to it in its data day activities. I am absolutely freaking stunned that PricewaterhouseCoopers understands this this well. And you should be too. Keep your eye on PricewaterhouseCoopers, guys, because these, Cooper, because these guys seem to actually have a credible handle on this stuff. Moving on, the move is part of PwC Luxembourg's broader strategy to push its proprietary global PwC branded blockchain products, including its smart credentials blockchain platform, as well as recently announced Halo suite of crypto audit tools and appeal to the cryptocurrency community. The firm said it strongly believes in blockchain technology as a medium to long-term standard in the economy and strives to position itself as an early adopter globally. PwC says it has more than 400 employees working on blockchain and crypto-related topics. These are supported by more than 100 technical team members focused exclusively on blockchain technology as well as a center of excellence that hosts some 20 blockchain developers. Luxembourg, the largest fund center in Europe and a leading wealth management and banking hub, has been working toward establishing itself as a major fintech driver in Europe, including installing favorable regulations that would allow startups to thrive. On February the 14th, 2019, Luxembourg's Chamber of Deputies passed a bill that provides a legal framework for securities issued on blockchain and distributed ledger technology platforms, granting transactions done with the new technology the same legal status as traditional. The move was welcomed by PwC Luxembourg and, quote, will boost the much-needed confidence in the market and will stimulate investments in a wide range of blockchain-related initiatives, end quote, the firm said in a blog post. Cryptocurrency startups, including Blockchain.com, Bitstamp, and Bitflyer have all chosen Luxembourg to host their European headquarters. And why not? Because they're apparently doing shit right. Uh, again, I am stunned that PricewaterhouseCooper gets this as right as they do, even if they are dabbling in uh, or, or using the whole blockchain moniker thingy for their like their some of their other stuff. Um, maybe they're just trying to satisfy her, but I, I don't know. I, I really don't care. What I do care about is they're getting it right about Bitcoin in a way that means that they seem to have a deep, or at least a deeper understanding of what the tech actually means rather than sit there with all the rest of the weirdos going, but it's only used for child human sex slave trafficking and drugs and assassination and all the bullshit narratives that we're always hearing. Dude, this is one of the top five firms in the world and they're actually getting it right. Uh, let's see, moving on, Huobi-backed whole network launches low-cost blockchain phone. Nah, that's right, phone calls, but now on the blockchain. Uh, well, I don't know that for sure. This is Coindesk's William Foxley writing September the 3rd. A cheaper blockchain phone is debuting in Southeast Asia with a U.S. and European launch promised in the near future. 
Huobi Global announced Tuesday the launch of the Acute Angle blockchain phone for $515 US. The Acute Angle is made by Whole Network, a startup that Huobi invested in. Also announced today, Whole Network's node token, uh, shitcoinery, will be listed on Huobi Prime. Running against competitors like Siren Labs' $1,000 Finny phone, the Whole Network device can be purchased with Huobi's native token, uh, shitcoin, sorry, HT. For roughly half the price, based on Android's operating system, Acute Angle is currently available in China with Q with a Q4 2019 launch planned for Southeast Asia. Dates for the U.S. and European rollout have not yet been given. In a statement, Huobi Global CEO Livio Wang said, Blockchain-based phones have a bright future. Quote, we think blockchain phones are a promising area for future blockchain industry development. As the industry develops and as innovations like 5G become increasingly integrated into our telecommunication system, we believe more and more crypto communities will want to trade and transact for mobile devices. End quote. Acute Angle includes built-in crypto-ready features like push trade notifications, a DAP wallet, a DAP wallet, my God, an optional cold wallet plug-in, and the Node native shitcoin. Acute Angle is the first in a future lineup of blockchain-based phones from Whole Network, who Obi said, with plans for 5G capability for future phones promised. Whole Network joined Samsung and Siren Labs, among others, in blockchain-based phone development. Last month, Samsung added Bitcoin functionality into its Samsung developers kit so there you go more phone more usage more portability more mobility it's all coming folks it's all coming yet we still have to be on guard for corporate level shit coinery Cointelegraph's Anna Alexandra is writing that MasterCard joins blockchain software firm R3's Marco Polo network Uh, September the 4th, 2019, this is being written. American financial services giant MasterCard has joined blockchain software company R3's Corda-powered Marco Polo network for trade finance. Yeah, good luck with that. In a news release published on September the 3rd, MasterCard revealed its participation in the project, a collaboration of R3 and Irish tech company TradeIX that launched in 2017. The initiative provides a multi-asset class platform that offers broker-dealer services and multi-shitcoinery transactions, among other services. The company's MasterCard track platform, Oh, track platform for business to business global trade has collaborated with Marco Polo in an attempt to facilitate further development and more working capital finance solutions. Jacques Levet, transaction banking head of Europe, the Middle East and Africa at BNP Paribas, one of the Marco Polo Network's members said, quote, better flow of information across the whole value chain has the potential to drive significant benefits for all network members, end quote. Recently, Standard Bank, Africa's largest bank by total assets, joined the Marco Polo network. Standard Bank will now develop trade finance solutions alongside major global financial institutions such as BNP Paribas, Paribas, yeah, it's going to be Paribas, P-A-R-I-B-A-S, and I-N-G. That's interesting. In April, Marco Polo onboarded three new members for piloting and evaluation purposes, including financial services firm Bairn LB, Frankfurt-based bank Halaba, and back office service provider S Service Partner. So corporate level shit coinery is not dead. All right. It's just, it's just not. I wish it was. Just like I wish the following story was just pure crap. Brave new coins. Oh, there's no way. I'm going to try it. Masayuki Tashiro. I think I got that right. Japan's SBI group to offer shareholder benefits. 
in RippleCoin. Uh, actually, it says XRP, but come on, let's be real. This is yesterday. The Financial Information Services subsidiary of SBI Group has announced that it will pay interim shareholder benefits in Ripple's XRP crypto asset. Morningstar, a listed company engaged in financial information services and a subsidiary of SBI Group, Japan's leading financial holding company, announced that it will pay its interim shareholder benefits in Ripple's XRP crypto assets. According to the announcement, the company will pay 30 XRP, equivalently equivalent to approximately 850 yen, to shareholders with more with 100 or more shares who are listed or recorded in the shareholder registry as of the end of September 2019. The company has expressed a view that cryptocurrencies are already being used globally for various functions such as settlements, remittances, and investments. Among other crypto assets, the usefulness of XRP, which is used to make global remittances efficiently, will increase in the future and is expected to be an important asset class for investments. And that's all I'm going to read of that because it's just pure bullshit and you guys are going to just get burned. It's Dealing with this level of shit coinery is, is scary to watch because we all know that Garlinghouse and crew are just... Even if they don't know they're scammers, they're going to end up being scammers. Now, this one's this one. You perk up your ears, okay? Sometimes I read shitcoin stories, and they don't really matter. I just want to give you guys a taste of the kind of crap that's going on around us. Is you you know my position? No shitcoinery. This story is not about well, it's kind of about a shitcoin, but it's about China's central bank. This is out of Reuters, and you need to listen to this one. Yawen Chen and Kevin Yao are writing for Reuters as of this morning, China cuts banks reserve ratios, frees up $126 billion for loans as their economy slows. China's central bank said on Friday it was cutting the amount of cash that banks must hold as reserves for the third time this year, releasing 900 billion won in liquidity to shore up the flagging economy. Analysts had expected China to announce more policy easing measures soon as the world's second largest economy comes under growing pressure from escalating U.S. tariffs and sluggish domestic demand. The People's Bank of China said it would cut the reserve requirement ratio, RRR, by 50 basis points for all banks with an additional 100 basis point cut for qualified city commercial banks. The RRR for large banks will be lowered to 13%. The PBOC has now slashed the ratio seven times since early 2018. The size of the latest move was at the upper end of the market expectations, and the amount of funds released will be the largest so far in the current easing cycle. The broad-based cut, which will release 800 billion won in liquidity, is, is effective September the 16th. The additional targeted cut will release 100 billion won in two phases effective October 15th and then November the 15th. Quote, the move shows policymakers are increasingly worried, but it's far from enough to stabilize the economy, said Larry Hu, great or head of Greater China Economics at Macquarie Group in Hong Kong. 
Quote, the key constraint is that everything is slowing down. Corporates are not willing to invest because of the trade war, a global slowdown, and weak infrastructure and property sector growth. The late end quote, the latest move to spur bank lending followed a cabinet meeting on September the 4th that pledged to implement both broad and targeted cuts in the RRR in a timely manner. The PBOC said it will maintain a prudent monetary policy and avoid flood-like stimulus while increasing counter-cyclical adjustments and maintaining reasonable and abundant liquidity. Analysts say China's economic growth has likely cooled further this quarter for near, uh, from a near 30-year low of 6.2% in April through June. Morgan Stanley says it is now tracking the lower end of the government's full-year target range of around 6 to 6.5%. With Washington imposing new tariffs from September the 1st and threatening more measures from October the 1st and December the 15th, some economists have recently cut their China growth estimates for next year to below 6%, which would breach... Beijing's longer-term development goal. The central bank is also widely expected to cut one or more of its key policy interest rates in mid-September for the first time in four years as it works to reduce corporate funding costs. Quote, I think it's very likely they will cut the loan prime rate by about five to 10 basis points later this month. I also expect another RRR cut of 50 basis points by the end of this year, Macquarie's who said. Now, the story is much longer than that. We're not going to read the rest of it because you know what you already need to know. China's printing money, hand over fist, just like the United States is printing money, hand over fist. If this isn't a buy Bitcoin signal, I'm not sure what it is. But then again, this is not investment advice. Don't ever listen to me. I'm probably always wrong. So let's see here. Um, Yeah, there's one more that I want to do here. This is, before we end the morning roundup, this is um, Dominic Powell writing for the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, This was yesterday. The headline is, there'll be no Twitcoin Twitter founder says he won't release own currency. Twitter founder Jack Dorsey has declared that he has no interest in creating a digital currency similar to Facebook's Libra, instead promoting the use of traditional cryptocurrency Bitcoin. Facebook unveiled its plan to create a new global currency called Libra in June, targeting a launch in the first half of next year. Mr. Dorsey, who has long been a vocal Bitcoin supporter, told The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, He believed the cryptocurrency pioneer was still the best bet to be the Internet's native currency. Quote, I think open Internet standards serve every person better than ones controlled or started by companies. End quote, said Mr. Dorsey, who is in Australia to promote his digital payments company, Square. He also said that he had not entertained the idea of creating a Libra-esque currency for Twitter or Square, saying instead he'd rather use, quote, existing open standards such as Bitcoin. Square sells Bitcoin through its cash app and in the second quarter made $125 million U.S. in revenue from Bitcoin trading by its customers. That created $2 million in profit in U.S. dollars. I think, or sorry, I quote, I quote, quote, I think Bitcoin's the best bet because it has the most resilient or it's been the most resilient. It's around for 10 years. It has a great brand and has been tested a bunch, he said. As I look at all cryptocurrencies that could fill the role of being the native currency for the internet, Bitcoin is a pretty high probability, end quote. 
Mr. Dorsey is the chief executive of listed software companies, Twitter and Square, which have a combined market cap of over $58 billion U.S. The multi-billionaire tech entrepreneur was was in Melbourne for the launch of Square Terminal, a new payments device aimed at moving small businesses from using hardware provided by the banks. Quote, banks control authority and practices are a global phenomenon, but I think it's really acute here in Australia, end quote. Square's head of hardware, Jesse Dorogusker, Dorogusker, Dorogusker said. Australia's uptake of cashless payments also factored into the company's decision to roll out new tech locally, with Mr. Dor saying Australia fared much better than the U.S. when it came to digital payments. With markets last month spooked by recessionary signals, Mr. Dorsey said he was confident of his business's ability to weather a downturn, saying they were, quote, prepared for anything. We're always heading into a recession and we're always heading out of one. And anyone who offers an opinion on this is fooling themselves, he said. (laughs) Quote, there is no one person on this planet that understands the global economy. No shit, Jack. Mr. Dorsey. Oh, sorry. Mr. Dorsey said Square's positioning in the software and payment space meant it could weather storms, including recessions and the United States-China trade war, though he noted other companies may not be so lucky. Quote, a lot of other business models may be effective, affected, but ours is pretty robust because people always need to eat. That will always be something that's valuable, he said. Mike Cannon-Brooks, founder of Australian tech success story Atlassian, yesterday encouraged his staff to attend a global strike for climate action uh, this month with Mr. Cannon-Brooks encouraging companies to take responsibility for climate change. Mr. Dorsey said he would similarly encourage to see, I don't even know why the hell this is in here. Why the hell did you dump a climate change set of paragraphs in this news story? My God, guys. Now, this was about him not releasing Twitter coin or Twitcoin, which would actually sound like Tweetcoin probably, which would be funny, but not needed. At least, whatever, we're going to stop that there. At least Jack gets it. You know, unless he's lying through his teeth, Jack gets it. There's no reason to introduce yet one more shit coin at the corporate level. It's, it's all bullshit. You know, it, it all needs to go away. And it's just, I, I, I fear it's just going to stay around. The shit coinery is just going to stay around and then morph as we are seeing morph into nation state level shit coinery. Between those two, that's where danger lies. The whole ICO and people in suits, you know, shaking people down for money at conferences. That doesn't, that doesn't affect me at all. It's the corporate and nation state level shit coinery that we should be focused on and, and, and let the ICO guys just, I don't know, die by the wayside. Anyway, that's going to do it for morning roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by bidinfocharts.com. No, they are not a sponsor. I don't have any sponsors. Nobody likes me. Uh, I just say that because they are the ones providing the information. And I, if yeah, I don't say that, then that just seems like it wouldn't be kosher. All right. We have a Bitcoin price at $10,873. It is 10.06 a.m. Central Daylight Time. We have a low over at P2P, B2B at 10,814. It looks like we have a, uh, there. okay, yeah, the 873 number is the high. 
We have 355,000 transactions that were made over the last 24 hours, giving us damn near 15,000. Did I say reactions? Transactions, giving us about 15,000 transactions per hour on average. 1.15 BTC or uh, 1.15 million BTC have been sent over that last 24 hours with an average cent per hour of, God, right around 50,000 BTC. Average transaction value is 3.25 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.023 BTC, or right around 250 bucks. Block time is low. Can you imagine why? Let's find out. <laughs> and the reward per block is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the 0.23 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 37 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have had a 12.68% increase in hash rate, landing us at 88.78 exahashes per second. My God almighty. Last GitHub commit was yesterday sometime. Ethereum, 176.44, Bcash, 298.37, Litecoin is $67.53. BSV is $134.95. Ethereum Classic is $7. And Dogecoin is $0.0026. Does it beat anybody? Yep. 27,000 transactions on Doge over the last 24 hours puts it on top of Litecoin transactions at 26,000. That'll do it for that. Let's check the mempool. Oh, come on, man. Give me my mempool. We are eight blocks deep or nine megabytes deep into the mempool. There are 14,000 unconfirmed transactions. We've got a couple of one, almost one and a half megabyte blocks. Uh, wow. Nice. Nice. All right. So there, there's your vitals. man i'm i haven't been this excited to to bring you guys a song than i am right now or at least not more excited um i think you're i i I don't know you may just yeah absolutely hate it 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 doesn't matter i'm I'm still freaking excited about this one because i was talking to my wife like i think it was wednesday yeah wednesday night and um all of a sudden I was like going, Oh shit, I know what song. So I, I come inside and I pull, you know, I pull it up and find, you know, I'm finding, you know, find the, find the song pretty damn easily. And I bring it up and I'm, you know, listening to it. And I'm like, going, Oh man, it brings back memories and all that kind of stuff. And as I normally do, I try to find other versions of the song, either by other artists or a live version And in this particular case, what I was trying to find was a metal version or a harder rock version of Gary Newman's Cars. Uh, If you've never heard of Gary Newman, then um, I I feel for you, man, because Gary Newman was a, or not was, he still is. He's actually coming back. His career got derailed. I'm not exactly sure why, but it might have been a combination of drugs and possibly mental health issues. Uh, he's noted in an interview that he has Asperger's, which I never knew about. But this dude was big in the 70s and 80, uh, late 70s and 80s. Big. I'm talking chart-topping big. Now, he's an English singer, so he has that whole, 
European vibe going. He's he was synthesizer heavy music, very heavy. He's one of the guys that pioneered electro, electronic music as a genre. Before him, you were not going to get flock of seagulls. You were not going to get club music. You're not going to get any of this shit unless you go back to its roots. And one of its main roots is Gary Newman. Now, in my search for bringing you guys a metal version of this, because I, I like the studio version, but it's it's too it's kind of too techno-y. It's certainly electronic music heavy because of all the synthesizers. And all of a sudden, something caught my eye. I saw a video of Gary Newman playing just a couple of years ago, playing cars with fucking nine inch nails. And oh my God, I just, I was like, oh yes, this is it. This is, this is it. And it is, this is it. This is going to be the one that I'm bringing you today. But I was just, I, I was completely not expecting to get exactly what I was wanting. I wanted a metal version or a harder version of cars. I got it.
Bye-bye. Okay, today's daily train wreck is not, not as great as it could be, but I got caught with my britches down and realized during the show when I was coming up to it that I, I did not, I had never actually found a, a good daily train wreck. So a quick scan does bring up something kind of humorous, though. It's not the not the joke of the day, but it's just slightly humorous. Katie Ananina, uh, it, she was actually one of the people that that reported on the the Craig Wright trial in Florida, um, and um, she did some pretty good reporting as as far as, as as far as she could. She kind of got in trouble with the judge because she was live tweeting from the trial and kind of didn't realize that that was a no no. So she got called back into the judge's chambers and was given a scolding about that kind of crap. But she did a pretty good job in giving us the heads up of what was going on on the floor during Craig Wright's uh, trial, which I still have yet to see a final judgment from the uh, presiding judge. Reinhardt was kind of presided over the proceedings as an assistant to, I can't remember the name of the actual judge, but he was the uh, uh, magistrate judge, sort of like, like the sous chef in a kitchen. It's not the executive chef. They delegate and he got delegated the bullshit trial that is the Kleeman v. Wright. In either event, Katie, who was at the trial, says apparently an hour ago wrote this. I've never tried alcohol. Not a single sip. Not once. And our good friend Psychedelic El Barto asks, you sat through a CSW trial without alcohol? Damn props. And my God, could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Sitting through that thing without even a slug of whiskey or something like that. That would drive me nuts. Okay. Cooking time. Why cooking? Because this is Bitcoin and bitches. I mean, it can't always be about Bitcoin. You got to do other stuff. And one of the other things that everybody should learn how to do other than swim. Everybody needs to know how to swim. But also everybody needs to learn how to cook. You have to be able to cook. Because if you cannot cook, then you're going to basically be outsourcing all of your meals and caloric intake to a third party. Probably not the best idea, especially if you're like frequent, you know, frequenting uh, McDonald's and shit like that. Don't, you know, don't do it. Every once in a while, I get it. You know, I, I, I get a, like a craving for a quarter pounder myself. But dudes, come on, learn how to cook. Learn how to cook with me, in fact. So uh, spatchcocked chicken is what we're going to be talking about today. And what the hell is spatchcocked? It simply means that it's like a butterflied whole chicken. Okay, well, what does that mean? All right. All you're really doing is you're taking a chicken, flipping it over on its front so that, it's, so that the spine is exposed, the backbone, and then you get a pair of kitchen shears and you cut out the backbone. So you cut up either side of the spinal column. You take that out, you throw it away, and then you flatten the whole thing, bones and all. You're not deboning it, okay? You're All you're doing, and it, and it takes like with a good pair of kitchen shears, do not use a knife on this, guys. Do not. If you use a knife on this 
and you lose a finger, don't come bitching to me. This is why they make freaking kitchen shears. This particular job of cutting out the backbone of a chicken is exactly why kitchen shears exist. Okay? Don't use a knife. Please don't use a knife. Please don't use a knife. Use kitchen shears. All right. So bones and all are still contained. The only thing, the only part of the bones that are gone is the spinal column and a, and a few of the few of the ribs. Now, when you cut it on the uh, next to the spinal column, get close. Get get as close to the spinal column as you can, and everything will be much better. After you dispose of the spinal column, and what I would suggest doing is putting that into a zip top bag or something like that and throwing it into a freezer marked chicken parts so that you can make stock out of it when you get enough, right? And not just enough backbone, but like, I don't know if you like, you know, brutalize a chicken and like, you know, pull, you know, doing something else before you cook it and pull off. I don't know, like you don't want the wings or something like that or the skin or you de-skin, like all of that should go into a bag that you can then, after a month of collection, if you've got like a couple of pounds of chicken parts that are just constantly being frozen, then you dump them into a pot and make stock. I'll do a, a segment on making stock one of these days, I promise you, because it, it's, it's, it's a critical skill. It's actually a base kitchen skill to be able to make a good meat or vegetable stock. All right, carrying on. Now that we've got the spinal column cut out, you need to flatten the bird. And that doesn't mean pound it with a 12-pound iron or anything like that. It just means use your hands and kind of flatten it out to where, because what you're wanting to do is get this to be where it's almost kind of all one thickness, although the breast part is always going to be thicker than the leg and the thigh part. But you, you want to get it to where it will lay flat. Why the hell do we even do this? If you've ever roasted a whole chicken in an oven before, this should be a no-brainer as to why. When that chicken is is folded up in its natural state, i.e. it still has a spinal column in connecting it all, it has a cavity of air inside of it. Now, you can stuff it, which makes matters worse, or you can keep the cavity of air there, but the problem is, is the air inside the cavity inside an oven does not move. Because it does not move, it is not carrying heat or, or carrying, it's not acting as a con, uh, convection type thing where heat is just, it's always cooler in the cavity. What does this cause? A lot of times this cause causes an uncooked chicken. Even after the damn thing's been in the oven for like an hour and a half to two hours at, at a proper temperature of like, I don't know, 470 or 375 or something like somewhere around those areas, it can still be raw. And the reason is because that air gap, there's a whole bunch, and air is a really great insulator against heat. So what you've got, when you look at an empty chicken carcass in the oven, and you're looking inside the carcass and it's all empty, and, that, and that's why people started stuffing it, but that doesn't really work all that well either, guys. It just, it, it kind of doesn't. So you have a well-insulated cavity. When you cut the spine out of this son of a bitch, everything changes. The entire thermodynamics of baking or grilling or whatever for a chicken changes immediately because now everything is exposed to heat. And that's why you spatchcock a chicken, okay? It doesn't mean that I don't like a whole roasted chicken. It's just that sometimes it's just 
easier to do it this way. And I've had really good luck doing this the last couple of times that I've done it. So the first time that I did it, I, once I got it flattened out, I flipped it over where it's breast side up and obviously the skin is still on. Keep the skin on. Do not take the skin off. Otherwise it'll dry out. The first time I did it, I met, I made a uh, herbed butter and it doesn't matter what I used. I mean, I could give you the freaking recipe, but that's not what cooking is. Cooking is being able to figure out your own flavors. But for the most part, it was like, you know, French Provence. Like there was like some, you know, like, I don't know, thyme and uh, lavender or a little bit like a tiny bit of lavender, you know, like it's like French provincial herbs. You can go, you can actually buy that stuff like French provincial herbs in a, in a can over it's like spice world or whatever, but it's like, you know, your basic stuff, thyme, parsley, uh, probably I put a little bit of onion powder in it and like maybe a little bit of garlic powder in the butter and a lot of butter, whole butter too, not margarine. Don't use that shit. You'll, you'll kill yourself. I made enough butter to hold in the palm of my hand. What did I do with it? I got my hands and I stick it. I find the edge of the skin and I shove my fingers between the skin and the meat and it, and then kind of rub it around to where it opens up the, the cavity or it creates a cavity between the skin and the meat. And then I, and I do this on the thighs and is anywhere that I can get to essentially is where, is where I'm going with this. Anywhere that I can open up a, a, a gap between the skin and the meat, that's where I'm going. I'm not pulling the skin off. I'm just putting my hand in there and gently kind of, there's some membrane and stuff that connects the skin to the meat, just kind of, you know, scraping my fingers and, and breaking that membrane. Once that's done, I have a place to put a fuck ton of butter under. And that's what you want. A lot of butter. Okay. So shove all the herb butter in there, mash it in, you know, like when you're done getting it under there, mash the skin to spread it out as much as you possibly can. At this point, I already have my grill rocket hot. And on upon that grill, while it was gradually becoming rocket hot, I put on what's known as a salt block. All this is, you can find them at Bed Bath & Beyond. You can get them at World Market. You can order them online from Amazon. Essentially, it's a steel flat rectangle um, holder that holds a slab of Himalayan rock salt all in one piece. You know, before we get salt, you know, given to us in the shaker, it's actually a slab. And amazingly enough, it's really tough. Like if I put ground salt, you know, under the faucet, you know, and put water on it, it dissolves almost immediately. I put this son of a bitch under the faucet to get all the crap of it off, you know, like from the earlier grilling stuff. It is, you would think it would melt away. No, it doesn't. Don't put it in your dishwasher or it will. Don't run it under hot water for an hour or it will. But you can literally just put the whole salt block under water, scrub the top to get it all nice and, you know, clean from the earlier grilling session and then let it, you know, just let it drip dry or whatever. And if you want, you can run a rag on top of it. Anyway, the problem with these is you can't just put it on a super rocket hot grill because otherwise the slab will crack and then you will have problems. So you gradually raise the temperature up while the charcoal is coming up to temperature as well. Once they're all both rocket hot, then you go and you take the spatchcock chicken and you put it breast side up. Now, also the way that I did it 
was I had a second frying pan on the stove inside my house, also getting rocket hot. Now, this pan is the, is one of my indoor pans, but I don't mind using the bottom of it for cooking. If you're going to use the bottom of anything for cooking, make damn sure you wash it. Actually, you should wash the bottoms and insides and outsides of all your pans every time. Uh, trust me, wash the outside of your pans, especially the bottom. I know that doesn't make sense, but really take the extra time to do it. Once that pan was rocket hot and everything was rocket hot, the inside pan and the outdoor grill and the salt block, then it was time to take the chicken outside, put it breast side up on the salt block, and then go grab the pan that's also rocket hot from inside and put it directly on top of the chicken. And what that does is it sears the top and starts melting that butter and makes it to where once that skin is nice and crispy on the on the very very tip top of the chicken, you can pull that pan off without the without the skin sticking to the bottom of the pan because you don't want that. You want that pan to literally fry that that the very top of that chicken, and then be able to pull it off. And I don't know. I think I left mine on for about five minutes. Then I take it off, you know, put the pan back inside to wash it later cover the whole damn thing is because I do this on my Weber grill, cover it with, with the thing, the cover and let it go. And I went, let, I let mine go until the proper internal temperature of the chicken is achieved. Here's the deal. That proper internal chicken temperature needs to be respected. It does. You don't want to go below that. Okay. But you also don't want to go above it. Once you hit it, take it off, use a thermometer, go get one. You, Put it into the meatiest part of the breast to what you think is the center of the breast, the deepest part in, and um, you can figure it out from there. Uh, Let me get you that temperature. Hold on for just a second. Okay, it's 165 degrees Fahrenheit. For all your European people, you'll have to do the conversion yourself. I grew up with Fahrenheit. I don't know what what I'm going to do. I know other the, most of my you know measures uh, other measures are basically done in the metric system, but for some reason temperature is ah it's, anyway you're looking for an internal chicken temperature of 125. The minute that that son of a bitch hits 125 or 165 in the middle 165, you pull it off and you let it rest for at least five minutes, and then boom, best damn chicken cooked in the least amount of time because it, I could tell you how long it took me. It took me. 30 minutes on that grill on the salt block covered with like I, I uh, turning down the heat to medium high on my Weber, which basically means you just swing the, the, all the, uh, the, you close all the bottom vents and keep the uh, top vent open. Yeah. You keep the top vent open or ha- about halfway open. And that gets me on my particular Weber where I need to be for medium high. And it, I pulled it off in 30 minutes. That's how long it took me to hit 165. It might take you 45 minutes. Hell, it might take you 20 minutes. It doesn't matter the time. What matters is the internal temperature of the chicken. If you go, if it goes too high, it's going to squeeze all the juices out. If it goes too low, there's always a possibility that you might get sick because eating undercooked meat, unless you're at a really good sushi restaurant, um, will you know can get you sick. All right, so just keep the 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 food safety in mind, and spatchcock yourself a chicken, and you know, and go to town. The second time I did it, I didn't use butter, and guess what happened? Because the reason I didn't use butter, 
My wife found a pre-cut spatchcock chicken in plastic at the grocery store. And she's like, well, I figured we might as well try it. And we did, but, and it was in a marinade. The thing about it was because there was no, not a lot of oil, the skin stuck to the bottom of the frying pan. So that'll be the last time that I don't shove a whole shit ton of butter on these things. Now, does it always have to be on the grill? No. It's also more than applicable to be able to cook these things on a baking sheet or, or I, I would actually use a, use a rack, like a cooling rack on top of a baking sheet, like a cookie cooling rack, something like that. And then put the chicken on that so that the juices can drip down. But the whole essence of the spatchcock chicken is just this extreme expose the most amount of surface area that you can to the heat so that it cooks as quick as possible getting to the internal temperature of 165 as fast as it can and you will end up with one hell of a tasty and not dry and not tough bird so that's going to do it for your cooking corner All right, man, this one, this is a terrible joke corner. And this terrible joke comes from Dave underscore Parrish. So one of my, one of my, uh, first, I guess one of my first listeners that kind of always listens and, you know, participates by sending me stuff. He, Dave, thank you. I, I appreciate you kicking in the time to send me stuff like jokes or interesting stories. It's, it's, uh, always nice to have that, have that like kind of waiting for me in my, in my noties. Um, so he sends me this this tweet. Actually, it wasn't him that sent me the tweet. Hold on for a second. Yeah, it was Dergigi, D-E-R-G-I-G-I, who authored uh, Proof of Life, one of the uh, it was one of the uh, better pieces of writing comparing the Bitcoin network and infrastructure and all that kind of stuff to a life form, much like Brendan Quittum did with a Mushroom. If you haven't read it, go read it. But Dergigi sent me this from Dave Parrish, and I, it's, it's just so, it's, it's so good, but it's esoteric. It doesn't make any sense to anybody outside the crypto community, you know, Bitcoin or otherwise. So let's, let's get into this. <clears throat> <clears throat> My son went from gaming to generating cryptocurrency on his computer. Only a minor improvement, if you ask me. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Totally esoteric. Of course, minor is spelled M-I-N-E-R in the joke, but that one's easy. That one actually, it's good because it transcends that, but only because of the, the, the fact that it's esoteric. Now, we really know the landscape of this stuff so well that it, it's clear. Anything, you know, telling this joke to anybody outside, they'd just be looking at you cross-eyed, which is kind of what makes it a nice bad joke because it's just for us. It's a joke just for us. And that's always special when you have your own joke. Okay, Friday. It's the weekend. I hope you guys have plans to get outside especially now that it's kind of starting to cool down a little bit. It's nice. It's nice. Had a little discussion with somebody talking about uh, on Twitter, talking about suits and how they don't trust anybody in suits. My thing is I don't trust anybody who can wear a full suit outside in a, over a hundred, like freaking triple digit, you know, temperatures, 80% humidity and be just fine. 
They're, just, they're outside. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt for God's sakes, and I'm dying. And I grew up in West Texas where it's always hot in the summers. I don't get how they do it. I don't get how they don't end up smelling like a sock by the end of the day, just walking to work. It just, the whole thought of it just makes me want to just start sweating. And it's just gross to think about. So I don't trust people that can actually not only wear a suit, but wear a suit outside in temperatures that should just make you blush. Still, don't wear a suit this weekend. Go outside, go fishing. I don't know. Take a bike ride. I look at the clouds. I don't care as long as you're not inside. Get away from Twitter. I, me, myself, and in, in, I'm including myself in that. You know, could try the spatchcock chicken this weekend, man. Go get. Sorry, I, I have two cats that are, have decided that they are going to come play, and and one of them's got a bell, you know, on their collar. Uh, pardon me about that. Uh, do the spatchcock chicken. Give it a shot, man. And guess what? You don't have to use a salt block. You can put that son of a bitch right on the fire, okay? And you don't have to put a hot pan on top of it either. This is just the way that I like to cook. I like experimenting with stuff. You can just put that son of a bitch right on the grill. Make sure that it's, you know, not, you know, the coals aren't that rocket hot. Um, the reason I'm doing that is because I, you know, have a salt block, so I need to get that thing up to up to temperature, but it's not directly exposed to the fire. Be careful about, you know, exposing stuff that's going to leak grease right onto the fire. Make sure that you've got, you know, the ability to close your grill. And you can put it right on the grill, and you can don't have to put a frying pan on top of it, and you can just cover it and, like, just make sure that it hits 165 degrees Fahrenheit, and you're good to go, man. Give it a shot. Salt, pepper. Butter, make sure there's butter. Butter makes everything better. Or, you know, whatever. Do, do whatever. Just go go drink beer in a hammock outside. We're, we're uh, about coming in on to the last days of summer, so might as well. Um, don't get fooled with the Bitcoin price. I am not a TA, TA guy, but if you're going to listen to somebody say that this is the last time that we're going to go under 10000 uh, or this is the last time that we'll ever see 10,000 again or some shit like any of those calls, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Things are bouncing around so hard. All we really need to do is look at the fundamentals. And if you go back to what I would, some of the stories at the head of the show, the fundamentals look good. The fundamentals look good people. And there's just, there's no reason to, you know, buy into all these people's bullshit. I have noticed that the ETH crowd is getting a little antsy. I don't blame them, but don't listen to them. If you know what I'm talking about, there's been a couple of tweets out of some of the ETH heads uh, that are saying that stuff like that, that Bitcoin's price wouldn't even be here without ETH. And don't just don't buy into it. Just 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 move on. Go find something more fun to do like spatchcock chicken. And when you do your spatchcock chicken, let me know and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.